Welcome. If you're looking to unlock the secrets of the mind, to live a life that's free of care and anxiety, and to be the happiest you that you can be, then you're in the right place. This is Growing the Good, the Mindful Podcast. Hello and welcome to Growing the Good, the Mindful Podcast, with me, your host in the West, and I'm here today with my good friend and co-host, Hayley Kearns. Hi Hayley, how are you today? <laughs> I'm very, very well, Neil, as always. You approach with a sense of apprehension, <laughs> because you don't know what the podcast is about. I don't, and you've got a funny grin on your face, though. Hmm. Well, yeah. the lights one. Okay. Um, so, not a lot of people know this. But if you had gone to um, Austria in 1890, you would have been able to hit the Vienna club circuit and see Sigmund Freud paying for his university fees with his comedy nights, (laughs) his stand-up comedy routine. You know that. (laughs) Little known fact. I can't really imagine Sigmund Freud doing stand-up. Well, you see, no, it's not true. I completely made it up. But how many psychoanalysts does it take to change the light bulb? Well, that is a question. Mm. The answer is only one, but the light bulb really has to want to change. <laughs> oh, that's an old one. Uh, uh, now, the point of this is um, that Freud was very interested in how jokes work. Okay. And he wrote a seminal book on the subject in 1905, which I've got here. Freud, Jokes and Their Relation to the Unconscious. Is it a laugh a minute? It's Well, it's a laugh a <laughs> every hundred pages or so. <laughs> um, but don't worry, because I have distilled the humour for you. So, oh, you good. know, you can read it at your leisure later. It's, it doesn't I'll look like a stroke. No, not a stroke. <laughs> no, it's not one that I'm wrestling every hands. Okay, right. So, essentially, I'll get to the point that Freud believed there were six kinds of jokes. Okay. Um, so I'll get to that, but we'll talk a little bit because mindfulness, we talk about humour and the value of humour and how humour helps us in, in a number of ways. Um, laughter is an alternative way for us to get into the moment. When we're laughing, we aren't thinking about anything else. It's like escaping from a to-do list for a while, and it's difficult to feel stressed when you're roaring with laughter. Does this ring bells with you? Yes, yes. definitely. Um, what, what do we... It's a good, yeah, well, laughter is... You tried to get me doing it, wasn't that key? Oh, yeah, when we did the laughter yoga. We did, haven't we done a... Um, Did did we do a laughter yoga podcast? We did do a laughter yoga podcast. Uh, Yeah, I don't remember. I do remember, because I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, we lived so much in the moment, (laughs) it's hard to remember what we've done in the past. But it is good when you have a good... good You'll enjoy this thing because I got many jokes. Oh, by the way, an example. Um, this is why I said you had a funny, they funny like look your on your face. Oh, they're well up to my high standard. <laughs> they are as good as they have always been. Okay. Uh, being in the moment is just one of the many benefits of having a good laugh. Um, there are many other health benefits, including uh, it increases your oxygen take. Yes, I see. I knew that. Mm, from you knew that from laughing yeah. yoga. Um, it stimulates other organs in your body. It fires up and then cools down your stress response, so it's like that reaction to danger and then feeling that the danger has passed, oh, so you kind of release okay. the cortisol and you know, yeah. all the kind of negative things, which results in a good relaxed feeling, okay. like a lion after a good hunt. Um, it stimulates circulation and aids muscle relaxation. In the long term, it improves your immune system, relieves pain and improves your mood, so having a good laugh. Because don't they say that chill, like, children laugh? Like, it's 
20 times more than adults don't mm, they, in a day. Much more, yeah. The older you get, the less it's you laugh. Yeah, <laughs> Quite always makes you feel... So I think because it worked with children and young people, maybe we laugh more mm. than the average adult. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're having a day where meditation and mindfulness seems just out of reach, having a really good laugh is a great alternative way to silence those thoughts for a while. Um, my liking of Zen, as you know, is inspired a little by their liking of humour and ridiculous as well. Zen masters confront their disciples with practical jokes in order to free their, free their minds and discover enlightenment. With the help of humour, Zen masters teach their disciples they should not cling to their views. This relativism leads to an insight into one's own illusions. One of these false views that are literally laughed away, you can discover a liberating connection with all things. So when the Zen master walked up with the head on a stick and shook it at people <laughs> and they cute, yeah. you know, so he was using humour, uh, grim humour, perhaps mm -hmm. dark humour, as a way of shaking people out of their fixed mindsets. Yeah. Take that Han only told one joke. Do you want to hear it? Go on, I can't oh, believe I've oh, not heard oh. it before. But um, it's take that hand. Take that hand tells a joke about a man who believed there was a grain of corn, which made him pathologically afraid of chickens. Okay. <laughs> I have heard this. Yeah, one, yeah. <laughs> so he um, the doctors take him away to the hospital and work on him for many months, convincing him you're not a grain of corn, you're a human being. And eventually they believed he was cured because he was saying, Yes, I, I, I'm a human being, I'm not a grain of corn. So they took him back to the farm to test him out and see if he was still pathologically afraid of chickens. And upon seeing the chickens, he freaked out and ran away and banged on the door desperately to get back into the hospital. And they said, what's wrong? You're not a grain of coin anymore. And he said, yes, I know, but nobody's told the chickens. <laughs> so there you go. That was Tick Matt Harms, only joke, as far as I know. Um, but he could have been people... a little comedian. <laughs> yes, I like that one. Um, so why did Freud think jokes were important? Jokes, according to Freud, are a mechanism to confront social, <laughs> cultural, or individual repression that generates displeasure or neurosis. Laughter is a means of releasing emotional tension. So it was big into kind of repression and things from there. It's also a challenge to those who repress others. So in that sense, tendentious jokes and laughter play a civil role. Instead of directly attacking the other person or idea, language is used is an ingenious way to express that displeasure. With innocent jokes, pleasure and laughter come exclusively from the implicit fun that's present in them. So there are different forms of humour, condensation or brevity, accompanied by the formation of a substitute, which is a composite work. You were thinking that, weren't you? Okay. Just, I, can, just what I was thinking of you were just definition. thinking that definition of a joke. Yeah. Well, I can give you an example. Go on, then. That so might man, be helpful. <laughs> a man is waiting at a motorway service station, mm -hmm. and he says uh, he sees a Dalek. Okay, and he goes over to the Dalek and he says, "You look familiar. You're not. You're not from Bradford, are you?" And the Dalek looks at him and says, "Exeter, mate." <laughs> Okay, so it's an it's an exa it's substitution, it's brevity, it's all those kinds of things, and it's funny. Yeah, I, know, I think so. Um, multiple use of the same material, double meaning, play on words, double entendre are also a, a, a feature that he, he considers. Um, so, for example, shop names. Um, so, see if you can guess which business is named um, with these names. Which business? Um, so, Abracadabra. <laughs> yeah, there's a kebab, kebab shop. Kebab shop, yes. Yeah. Iron Maiden. <laughs> what 
like an A, like we're in shop, yeah, hiding service. Hair or Smith. <laughs> See? Yeah. Um, slick as a dog. <laughs> slick as a dog. Slick as a dog. Slick as a dog. Slick as a dog. But they can be dark and suggestive. Would you buy uh, books from a shop called The Back Passage? <laughs> or would you buy a burger? These are real places. Would you buy a burger from a grill called Hindenburger? <laughs> My friend, I always remember, was well, shot that sticks in my head is my friend um, used to, the chip in your hair was called Ken's Codpiece. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, used to remember, I was like, I'm not sure I really want to go. <laughs> Ken's Codpiece. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so yeah, double entendre comes play on words. Quite funny. Very funny. Okay. It's like the book names, isn't it? Mm. Uh, philosophically. There we go. There we go. Angus uh, Dakota. I used, to, yeah. I used to really like those. <laughs> um, in more complex, moving on, in more complex jokes, it's dependent on the person who hears the joke that they experience a moment of bewilderment. This is what we talked about, I think, isn't it? It's this moment of I bewilderment. I do every time you start a podcast. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because then you, the enlightenment yeah. comes and you go, Ah, enlightenment, you see. Yeah. So that's that's why this moment of bewilderment. We're doing teaching, don't we? You know, you start from a yeah. point of, of bewilderment and then you enlighten and everybody's yeah. ah, now I get the hook. Yeah. Stories I suppose use that, don't they? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, so moment of bewilderment followed by enlightenment. Um, for example, ready for another one. Police arrested two kids yesterday. You're in moment of bewilderment. I am. One was drinking battery acid, the other was Eating fireworks. <laughs> they charged one and let the other off. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to pray every night for a new bike. This is Peter K. Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to pray every night for a new bike. Then I realised the Lord doesn't work that way. So I stole one and asked him to forgive me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Right, inevitably I'm going to take you into some darker territory now. Okay. okay. So this was where Freud was talking about how jokes can be used um, from a psychoanalyst point of view to control, you know, coercive, dark humour um, in society, in groups and things. So this is the tendentious joke. So I'm going to trend okay. carefully. Okay. Um, the tendentious joke. If I laugh, does that mean I'm like some kind of... No, I'm not going to judge you, okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps... I'm going to tell what I think is a fairly safe tendentious joke. Okay. But we'll, I'll get you there first, safely, don't worry. Okay. okay. Um, it's where there's a more sinister intent behind the joke, which will often have perhaps an obscene content or the employment, the enjoyment comes from breaking some kind of rule or convention. These are jokes that rely on unification. Uh, released from a common anxiety, and they're often hostile to some other group. Okay, so growing up in the seventies and eighties, the, 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 these these kind of jokes, which are not told anymore, well, were quite yeah. commonplace, perhaps. Yeah, in, in, especially stand-up comedians. Especially stand-up comedians. Yeah, there are three people in the joke: the person telling the joke, the object of some hostile aggression, and the third person in whom the joke's intention is of producing pleasure, fulfilment. Okay. So I will tell you the joke, I want you to feel pleasure and fulfilment, but there's a third person not in the joke at whose expense yeah. the joke is told. Yeah. So it's quite a familiar yeah. Yeah. sort of setup. Um, these are the jokes that seek to create a counterfeit community of usness in opposition to those we see different on grounds of race or sex or sexuality or religion. 
The teller of the joke bribes the hearing to take sides with the speaker as they attack both superior and inferior others. These jokes tend to cause offence to the group which is the subject of hostile aggression. But it's become less acceptable in our society to tell jokes that rely on this device, regardless of who the target is. We're no longer comfortable laughing at another group of people. This is quite interesting because he was writing mm. in 1905 when it was perfectly acceptable to yeah. tell these jokes. Um, now in our society we reflect on this and think it's, it's not acceptable. Now in Freud's day, anti-Semitism, and bearing in mind Freud himself was Jewish, mm -hmm. so he perhaps had um, cultural permission to use these jokes yeah. as examples. So if you get the book, the joke examples he uses for teaching purposes are anti-Semitic jokes yeah. because that was his cultural landscape. He could, yeah. he could stand on that and speak about it. Um, it was sadly commonplace in Vienna, and even though he himself was Jewish, as examples in his work, he uses a number of anti-Semitic jokes to illustrate his point, which make uncomfortable readers today, and I'm not going to share any of them with you now. If you're really interested, read the book. Okay? If you remember the Douglas Adams biscuit stealing story, we saw it was often amended to make the person in opposition culturally relevant. Remember, it doesn't matter who the person at the station was stealing no. biscuits, you judge them because they say it was you know, yeah. a person from a particular group. Uh, once it would have been the French, then the Germans, in the early 20th century it might have been the Irish, in the 1950s and 60s it was the black migrants who settled, you know, the Windrush generation, who, whose community was targeted post 9-11, you might get um, anti-Islamist mm. jokes being told. Um, now we fear it's migrants crossing the channel who will threaten our society. So the, 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 the group, the other group that we are always afraid of and, and, and perhaps um, Characterise in a negative way changes, but the, the structure of the jokes doesn't it? Okay, so this is where I'm going to tell you a joke I'm comfortable telling because it's from my own cultural background. Okay, okay. so from a, from a kind of from a Catholic background. Okay, and um, so outside the gates of heaven, there are two newly arrived people one is a taxi driver and one is a Catholic priest. Okay. And they're looking at each other and looking around and they see the gates of heaven and they're going up to them and the priest says, oh, I'll be fine, he said, I'll, I'll get straight in, he said, they'll see that I'm a priest and they'll let me straight in. So the taxi driver is a little bit apprehensive, but he follows the priest up to the gates and St. Peter's there waiting at the gates. Um, and the uh, St. Peter looks straight past the priest to the taxi driver and says, oh, Fred, come in, come in, we've been expecting you. And the priest says, but hang, hang on a minute, he said, he's only a taxi driver, I'm a priest, surely I should get into heaven before him. And he said, no, he said, I'm really sorry, he said, every time you gave a sermon, the congregation fell asleep. When Fred was working, all the passengers in the back of his taxi, they were praying like mad. <laughs> Come in. Come in. Okay. Um, so that's my, that's my, hopefully, yeah. fairly safe, not too kind of offending um, example of one of those where we can, you know, I've included you in the joke at the expense, perhaps, of others. And it's quite funny. <laughs> okay. Um, historically, jokes reinforced the class system and social order. Ill-educated working class or middle class people were mocked for trying to emulate their betters in language and behaviour and were encouraged to laugh at their mistakes. Um, my liking of Theodore Hook, who nobody in podcast land will have heard of, but I bored you to death, um, the inventor of the postcard, um, editor of the Jumble newspaper and writer of spoof articles about a Mrs Ramsbottom. OK, 
Okay, so Mrs. Ramsbottom is an aspirational middle class person trying to, she moves to London with her daughters and it's the, the diary is like a spoof of her diary, she tries to climb the social ladder but gets everything slightly wrong. So I've, I've picked, I mean there's, there's an awful lot of it, but this is the example I've picked just to give you an example. Okay, so we're in about 1830 at this point in London. Okay. Having often heard travellers lament, not having put down um, what they memorabilious of their journeys, this is her language, I was determined while I was on my tower, not tour, tower, to keep a diary. On she says, diary. Yeah. <laughs> so called from containing the cream of one's information. And record <laughs> everything which recurred to me. You didn't think this was going to be funny, did you? But it was. We left Montague Place at seven o'clock by Mr. Fulmer's pocket thermometer and proceeded over Westminster Bridge to explore the European continent. I never passed Whitehall without dropping a tear to the memory of Charles II. It was actually George II who was king in 1745. She means Charles the Pretender or Bonnie Prince Charlie. So it's it, a bit obscure historical yeah. fact to us, but she got it all wrong. Who was decimated after the rebellion of 1745 opposite the Horse Guards. His memorable speech to Archbishop Bishop Caxton rings in my ears whenever I pass the spot. I reverted my head and affected to look to see what o'clock it was by the dial on the opposite side of the way. It's quite impossible not to notice the improvements in this part of town, the beautiful view which one gets of Westminster Hall and its curious roof, after which, as everybody knows, its builder was called William Rufus, which again is not true. It was built in the late 90s, uh, 1090s by King William, known as Rufus, supposedly because of his really face. So she, she's got kind of yeah. aspects of things right, but gets them just wrong enough to show that she's not really educated. It's like really uh, Philomena, have you seen the Philomena Clunk series? Mm, that yeah, kind of yeah. sort of thing, isn't it, where she yes. interviews historians and things. She's, she's, <laughs> she's kind of off the mark yeah. with, with everything, yeah. Yeah, so that will be kind of intellectual yeah. snobbery of the yeah. type, and uh, you sit there feeling superior because you recognise all the mistakes that she makes. The character Mrs. Malaprop in Richard Brinsley Sheridan's play The Rival, 1775, noted for constantly using the wrong word with a sound resembling the right one. Her name comes from the French phrase malapropus, inappropriate, and is an example of, no, hang on a minute, atronym. A name that fits some aspects of character, aptronyms. Now, we've talked oh. about this when we said what about Roald Dahl and how Roald Dahl's mm. characters sound like, you know, snobgrass, the, yeah. the sort of name Easily suggests the character, and it must have a word, and it does, and it's called aptronyms. There you go. Malaprops include alliterating quite from your memory instead of obliterate. He is the very pineapple of politeness instead of pinnacle. And she is as headstrong as an allegory on the banks of the Nile. Um, in Much Ado About Nothing, the constable Dogbury delivers just as good, if not funnier, and more absurd lines. This enables him to play a key part in keeping the play from becoming a little too serious. In Acts 3 and 4, essentially making him the comic relief for the, for the, for the play. Um, he says, uh, only get the learned writer to set down our excommunication and meet at the jail. It's a bit of our communication. Mm -hmm. And does thou not suspect my place? 
does not know, does that, sorry, let me start that again. Does thou not suspect my place? Does that thou not suspect my years? Where it means that you not respect mm. my place and years, but obviously by saying suspect, it does call into question. Yeah. Um, so it's got that double meaning. The most peaceable way for you, if you do not take a thief, is to let him show himself what he is and steal out of your company. So like steal out of your company, get away, as opposed to steal out of your company, steal mm. something from someone in the group. So again, it's got that double meaning. A more modern style of humour, Freud looks at the joke technique of faulty reasoning. For example, a gentleman enters a cake shop. Right, this, is, this is a Freud joke, see what you think. A gentleman enters a cake shop, orders a cake, but soon takes it back to the counter and asks for a glass of liqueur instead, which he drinks and starts to leave without paying. The shop owner detains him. The gentleman asks, what do you want? You've not paid for the liqueur, the shop owner replies. But I gave you the cake in exchange for it. You didn't pay for that either. No, but I hadn't eaten it. <laughs> so that kind of, you know, illogical logic. In laughter, the conditions are present under which a sum of psychical energy is allowed free discharge in the form of laughter. And since most laughter is an indication of pleasure, this can be linked to the jokes. The joke gives momentary pleasure, but it's the lasting relief through free discharge in the third person that gives the greater and longer lasting feeling of pleasure. So I make you laugh when I tell you a joke, but the fact that you laugh gives me more lasting pleasure yeah. than you get in the moment of laughter at the joke because I've gone to the trouble of building it for you. Um, I'll leave you with this thought. Do you suffer from anxiety that an intruder Maybe hiding in your room. Well, you're not alone. <laughs> so there you go. Hayley yeah, Cairns, Freud, Freud <laughs> and the psychoanalytical um, nature of telling jokes, why we tell them and how they work. Yeah. I, I mean, I, like, I do like to go and watch like, stand-up comedians and things mm -hmm. like up-and-coming talent. But yeah, I don't. But I do. I wouldn't want to be. You know, when you go and if you, usually like the warm up act will pick on people. I'll never sit audience. on the front row. No. Yeah, I don't like that. I've made that mistake. Yeah, yes. but I went to uh, went to a comedy show recently and they were talking. The guy started to say he was really cross because some famous comedian had stolen his joke during lockdown, and the joke was something like, "An alligator is a better swimmer than me, but I'm I'm a better runner." So in the triathlon, it can't come down to who's a better cyclist, which I thought was really like, yeah. Um, and apparently this person stolen it, but used a shark and it didn't work as well. Um, but then as we were doing this, there was this couple in the audience and she started pulling his top up, like lifting his jumper up, which and he's got a tattoo of an alligator. <laughs> this guy said, like, you know, he's not a plant. So this guy got this tattoo and he was saying that's the worst tattoo I've ever seen and he went, it was free. But, <laughs> that's all right, but then in the interval she was making him show everybody and it was the it was all the way across his head was on his tummy and his body went all the way around his back and it was massive and it looked like a child like a child had drawn this alligator. But it was huge. That's a but bizarre just... anecdote. <laughs> Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah, but I just Every time I think about it, it just really makes me laugh because I thought the joke was funny. But then the, the comedian, it's good at how it works, isn't it? Because like the chances of somebody with the dodgy alligator tattoo being set and somebody <laughs> showing it, 
Well, you've easy. put my liqueur joke to shame, <laughs> that. Oh, there we go. So, Very if, you have, enjoyed that if one. you have long rambling anecdotes, more death to come, don't oh, you? You're, you're like an onion, aren't you? Many, many layers. Many layers. <laughs> All of them decide to make you yeah. cry. So, yeah. if you have <laughs> any jokes you would like to share with us or any thoughts, yeah. you can. Kind ones. Mindful yeah. jokes. Yeah. You can find us on Facebook where we are One Together Kick. You can email us. We are one together cic at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through our website, which is one together cic.co.uk. <laughs> but no, this is Growing Good, the Mindful Podcast. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> this is Growing the Good. The Mindful Podcast.